for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. Builders, are you with me? Oh, yeah. Building out a blueprint ain't going nowhere. Builders, are you with me? Oh, yeah. Building without a blueprint ain't going nowhere. Builders, are you with me? Oh, yeah. Building without a blueprint ain't going nowhere. Builders, are you with me? Oh, yeah. Building without a blueprint ain't going nowhere. Everybody say, oh, ooh, 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 ooh. Now, somebody, anybody, everybody, scream. Hi, y'all. <laughs> One day. So my first name is Princeton. Middle name is Irvin. My second middle name is Extra. And my third middle name is For No Reason. <laughs> my last name is Parker. And I am your host of Building Without a Blueprint. Welcome back, fam. Hey, it's lit. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful to God for life and love. And I'm thankful to you for listening. I'm glad you press play. And that means that you believe that on the other end of that decision was something that would uh, help your life, that would encourage you or at least fill space while you sit in traffic. Either way, I'm grateful. Grateful. Anyway, it's so good to be here with you for another episode. Uh, I love this. Uh, yo, I really do. I really do. I love the opportunity to share what's on my heart with you, to share pieces of my life. And, and I love that something coming out of me uh, could possibly inspire or encourage you. And so I hope your day is going well. You know, we don't talk enough about you. How are you doing? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good. And how's she doing? She doing okay still? Yeah. That's fantastic. That's good. Listen, you know what? You tell her I said, what's up? That's wonderful. How's work? Work is good. Yeah. Listen, you better get that promotion. Come on. Won't he do it? Okay, fantastic. How's your dreams? How's your dreams? You good? You're still chasing your dreams? Fantastic. I'm glad you're doing well. That was good. We don't do that enough. And so I'm going to make sure that we keep doing it, that we keep uh, conversing with one another because I want to know how you're doing. Listen, we're going into part two of this uh, small sermon series that I did. It was only two parts. So I don't know if you can call it a series or just like a sermon in two parts. Like, and that's what's interesting, right? Like, you know, is is a series, does it start at three? Like, can you have a series that's only two things? I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so part two of this two-part thing <laughs> called Productive Pain. Remember where we ended last week, which was sometimes you won't know whether or not a, a pain is productive or abusive. The last episode was all about discerning 
which pains um, are abusive in nature, right? Which means that they don't contribute to anything. They just take from us and eventually to our death. Or the other side of it, which is productive pain, which pains on the other end of them add value. They add life. They add new perspective, right? And how can we... uh, have the appropriate response to either one, right? And we talked a little bit about that in the last part, in the last episode. So I hate when podcasters do this and I'm going to do it because I hate as a listener when they do it, when they're just like, so if you haven't listened to the first episode, I recommend that you stop right now and go back and listen to that episode we just released and then come back. I'd be like, no, I don't want to. I pressed this one for a reason. Obviously, I can see there was a part one. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear this one. But now as a podcaster and as a preacher, I'm going to kindly ask you to go listen to part one, if that's okay with you. If not, you know, hey, great. Maybe you'll listen to part two and then you won't get it. And then you'll go listen to part one. Oop, was that shade? Princeton, calm down. Why are you so salty, fam? They're listening to your podcast. Calm down, brosive. Let Jesus lead you. Be at peace right now, bro. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. This is part two. Here's what part two is about. Sometimes you won't know whether or not a pain is abusive or productive. Sometimes it's just pain. It just hurts. But even when you don't yet have enough sobriety to be able to get to that level of teasing what's at the bottom of the pain, you can still make healthy choices. You can still be productive, right? Now we're taking a little bit of the emphasis off of the pain and more about you and your response to it. And how can that be healthy? Because again, my aim in this as I was studying through the scriptures and going through some things in my own life and thinking about the way that I was that I was brought up in the faith is as believers and as people in general, but especially as believers and then even more targeted, especially as those of us who are Pentecostal, believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff. We need to go back and unpack our relationship with pain so that we can come out with a healthy response. And, and let me tell on myself a little bit for this episode, you know, for me, I knew that I didn't handle pain well. When I was going through pain, I would shut down. I didn't want to talk to people. And people knew that something was wrong because they'd be like, uh, Princeton, you're not yourself today. And I'll be like, well, what? I don't understand. And I, you know, it's very easy when somebody who is extra as I am starts not saying anything. You're like, okay, some, something's wrong. But I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't because I felt like there, those spaces didn't exist. I felt like I had to internalize it because, you know, nobody wants to hear about my problems or everybody expects me to be the strong one. But another thing that I would do is I would medicate. Like, you know, I've talked about in This Is Where I Am versus Who I Am, you know, about the the pornography. And, and that was a central role that it played. It was a processing space. It wasn't, it wasn't like you just want to be nasty. It was this idea that... You, I I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel the pressure. I don't want to feel like a failure. I don't want to feel like I'm letting people down. I don't want to feel this weight of being an imposter. I don't want to feel this weight of having this responsibility, but not knowing how all of it's going to come to pass. And so I would medicate the pain. I would medicate rejection, feeling rejected by young women, feeling like I wasn't attractive, feeling rejected by people who maybe didn't vibe with the ministry, feeling rejected by those times that I had failed and wasn't the highest performer. And I medicated and I had to grow into the Lord saying, no, 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 no. The same way you bring me in all these accomplishments you have, the same way you bring me into all these other elements, you need to let me into how you deal with pain. 
and you need to let me show you how to have a right relationship. Like just because you're hurt doesn't mean your decisions have to go off the wall. And I think I find too many people who are using um, their pain as an excuse for their toxicity. They're using their pain as an excuse for I'm hurt. So I could just go out and hurt other people. I can go out and get high. I can go out and 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 I think that there are healthy ways like, yes, you can be hurt and healthy. Oh, that's good. You can be hurt and healthy. You don't have to allow the depth to which you've experienced pain to automatically put you in the category of being unhealthy. But when we don't have ways to be productive during pain, we automatically go to the unproductive route. And I want to rescue as many people from spending time in what I was spending time in, which is creating cycles of more pain, trying to run away from the original instance of the pain. So that's what this is going to be about. I hope you're blessed. Let's go listen. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm so glad you're here today and I'm so glad that we're here together. I'm so glad just to be in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Sister Janine, we're happy to see you this morning. We're just elated and just praising God. Oh, my goodness. I almost want to preach that. You can't keep a praiser down. There's something about uh, Paul says he wishes above all that we would prosper and be in health even as the soul prospers. That though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. And when that inward man, inward woman is strong under the presence and power of God, I don't care what happens on the outside. You just can't keep somebody down whose spirit has decided that I'm going to move on in the strength of the Lord, praising and worshiping God. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4, and let's journey through this together. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not, there it is, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, somebody say light affliction, which is but for a moment, somebody say a moment, okay, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are what? Not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal, okay? I want to share part two of a teaching that we began last month at our time together with the refreshing. And this teaching is called productive pain, productive pain. This is a teaching that we began uh, last week, or excuse me, last month for our refreshing series. And we're going to pick it up this month called productive pain, productive pain. One of the things that is guaranteed in the human life and in the human experience is pain. To be alive means that at some point you will experience pain. And in many senses, we are taught to run from pain or we are taught to avoid pain or we are taught to ignore pain and pretend that it doesn't exist. But we know this not to be the truth. This is not the case, uh, not just in the natural, but Jesus presented it as such 
that he didn't want us to have an unhealthy relationship with pain. How do we know that? Because he was always in his conversations and in his teachings referencing the guarantee of pain. Jesus, in his conversation and in his teachings, never sold us a bill of goods that we'd never experience pain. He was not consistent in his teaching where um, he gave us these promises but didn't also address that because we were living in this life, what would accompany those problems was great pain. He would say things like this. In this world, you will have trouble. That's, that's, that's about as plain as you can get. <laughs> You're saying, look, if you live here in, in this, this place, this little environment called the earth, not the earth, the earth, you will have trouble. But the consolation that he renders right after that is, but do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged, for I have overcome the what? The world, right? It was never that he uh, ignored pain in his teachings. He was always letting you know, hey, when you do this, when I send you to do this, this is what you're going to experience. So the goal of Jesus is not that we as his followers avoid pain, but the goal is in fact that we have a healthy relationship with pain, understanding this, that he has already overcome the pain that we are to experience. And that if we realize that, that will enable us to have a healthy relationship with pain. That is the whole goal of this two-part series is that we come away having a healthy relationship with pain. Part of that healthy relationship with pain is for us to be able to know the difference between what pains are productive, what pains are beneficial, and what pains are abusive. What pains that no matter how long we endure them have no benefit to our lives. I take this construction from John 10 and 10. Again, Another place where Jesus is acknowledging that there will be pains that come into our lives. But he makes a distinction as to the end result of those experiences. The end result of those pains in John 10 and 10. You can write that down. He says that the thief cometh not, but to do what? Steal and to kill and to destroy, right? But I am come that you might have what? Life and life more abundantly. And so therein we find the principal difference between abusive pain and productive pain. The intent or the end result of abusive pain is always that something is stolen, something is killed, or something is destroyed. But the end result of productive pain is always life that I come out better, that I come out stronger, that there is something in me that is developed. Remember that abuse, I gave this definition in part one. This is all just recap before we dig into today. Remember that abuse is taken from uh, the definitions given to me by uh, a mentor, Dr. Hosea Collins, and some definitions that he took from Dr. Miles Monroe. Abuse, combination of two words, abnormal use. Dr. Miles Monroe puts it this way, that wherever purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Wherever I don't know the purpose of something, I will automatically not use it. I will abuse it because I'm not using it for the purpose for which it was created. Abusive pain is that which always does not use in accordance with something's purpose. 
abnormal use. This is why it's important for us to note that abuse is not always physically violent. Because sometimes we'll say, well, that's not abuse. I don't see any physical scars. I don't see you. But if it's something or a situation that is using me other than the purpose that I was created for, that means that this abuse can be mental. It can be emotional. It can be financial. It can be an abuse of time. If you come into my life and and use time other than for a purpose other than that which it has been designated for, like just every time you come in, you just want to use my time for something other than what has been designated for. That can be a form of abuse. And sometimes there are going to be situations where no matter how many, and I'm, I'm trying to learn this in this season of my life, there are going to be some people where no matter how many sit downs you have with them, they ain't never going to change. And I'm trying to gather this. Um, if you want, so here's, here's what I'm using like in real time to help me with this. There's a sermon series by Dr. Darius Daniels, who's a pastor um, out of New Jersey. He's a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, a brilliant man, a pastor's change church. And I've been studying a series he's doing currently um, called Rejection Rehab. And there's a sermon, if you look it up on YouTube, called Five Types of People You Can't Help. The Five People You Can't Help. What that illuminates is there are going to be certain situations where no matter how many times you sit with them and have come to Jesus meetings and invite them over to the house and and want to do coffee and all that, no matter how much you do that, they're still going to remain who they are. They have no desire to change. They have no desire to become different. And so now if you continue to make that consistent time investment, it has now become an abuse of your time. Because it is using that time for something that is not productive, not the intended time that it was used for. Okay, so abuse is not always it is not always physically violent. We can't just use the measures of physical violence to define whether or not we will classify it as abuse. It is more so about whether or not a purpose is being met. Is this in line with the specific purpose that this was in line for? Right. If I take this microphone and want to go hammer a nail into the stage, I'm abusing the microphone. Why? Not just because of the violence, not just because of the dent that could be in the microphone, but because of the purpose that the microphone has that I'm avoiding. Does that make sense? Let me go through these very quickly. Remember, abusive pain is always a dead end. This is all from last month. Productive pain always has a turning point or some direction. All right. I'll give you a great example. Jesus had two different pain experiences in his life, right? He could have chosen the pain that would have come from his temptation with the enemy. Or he could have chosen the pain of the cross. Both of them looked equally as painful. But one was abusive, one was productive. How do we know? Purpose. Had he responded to the temptation of the enemy, right? When we look at the beginning of Mark, the beginning of Luke, when the enemy would say, hey, turn these uh, stones into bread, throw yourself off the temple, etc. Those things would have led to a dead end. Jesus would have submitted his power to the enemy and that would have been the end of it. An abusive pain. It has a dead end. What else comes after that? Satan gets his power. He's now gotten the son of God to obey one of Satan's commands. And then that's it. 
But the productive pain, the cross, still had some pain associated with it. But on the other end of the cross was the salvation of millions. Still two different painful experiences. One was that mental pain, that mental pain of, of Jesus having to deal with. I'm hungry. I'm dealing with this frustration. I'm just beginning my ministry, right? That temptation of I was just confirmed in baptism, but now I've got somebody coming to me saying, if you are who you say you are, then prove it, right? That's a pain, but that, what, had he given in to it, would have been just an abusive pain. It would have led to a dead end. But productive pain always has a turning point or some direction. Jesus knows, hey, look, the cross is about to hurt. But there's going to be something on the other end of it that is productive, which leads us to number two. Abusive pain never has results. One of the ways you can tell an abusive pain versus productive pain is check your growth. If you look at you've been in the same situation that's been causing pain and there's not been any sign of a direction or change, it could be an indication that it's an abusive pain, not a productive one. Abusive pain never has results. Productive pain hurts temporarily. But then you see fruit from it. You go through a a leg injury, the physical therapy, that hurts in the beginning. It's a pain. And in the beginning, it just feels like this is throbbing. This hurts. This is ridiculous. But over time, you start to see fruit from it. You start to get mobility in that leg again. You start to be able to walk independently without crutches. Abusive pain never has results. I used this expression in the last teaching. Some folks have been dating for years under the promise of marriage and you look back it's been eight nine and a half years and they ain't even bought you a Chuck E. Cheese ring <laughs> let alone anybody else used to do that you said okay well was I the only one I've done that before I just think this rep anyway <laughs> <laughs> and then I grew up I stopped getting the ones at Chuck E. Cheese and uh Got one at Disneyland, right? Because that's, that's super romantic. Abusive pain never has results. <laughs> that's funny. Productive pain hurts temporarily, and then you see fruit from it. Three, abusive pain has no explanation. Anytime you're in something where there is no disclosure as to what the thought process is behind it, that might be an abusive pain. Anytime somebody says, hey, take this interpretation of Scripture because I said so, uh, might be an abusive pain. If there is no underpinning as to how you arrived at that theologically, if there is no teaching towards an open heart, this is just because I said, because this is what we, fantastic. Tradition is awesome, but show that to me in the scripture. Help me arrive at it. If I have to take your word for it, is it God's word? Oh my goodness. If I have to take your word for it, is it God's word? Abuse of pain has no explanation. Hey, just do this for me real quick. Uh-uh, tell me what we doing. Uh-uh, tell, uh-uh, listen, <laughs> explain this to me real quick, okay? Because I don't have time for what could be on the other end of this if I don't know what I'm doing. Productive pain has a purpose to it, even if you can't see it at first. Abusive pain is not transparent, number four. But productive pain explains itself. Productive pain has nothing to hide. I said this in the last teaching as well. Mom used to say, if you got to hide it, it probably means you ain't got no business doing it. Five. Abusive pain wants your emptiness. Productive pain wants your fullness. Do you know one of the ways you can tell an abusive relationship, particularly quite early, 
is by the ways in which the abusive partner tries to separate their partner from the worlds that they were in before that relationship. One of the, one of the very easy signs to, to be able to tell that there's probably uh, a cycle of abuse beginning. That person begins by saying, you don't need to go to that church. Let me begin by saying, you know what? You spend way too much time with your family. Like we should really, this should be all about us. You spend way too much time praying, right? They start to try to devoid you of all these experiences, of all of your aspects of community. Why? Because eventually what that will create is an emptiness, which will strengthen the bond, and it's not a bond, the dependency you have on the abusive partner. And this is what the enemy does, right? He oftentimes isolates you and then leaves you by yourself, right? But productive pain wants your fullness, okay? Productive pain and abusive pain, which is where I want to pick up today, can sometimes, not all the time, but can sometimes hurt the same. Which is why you can't use the fact that something hurts to just write it off as an abusive pain. We're in a generation right now where in our search for fulfillment and for wholeness and for happiness... What we've done is we just start writing off anything that hurts as abuse. <laughs> anything that offends us. Uh-uh, I ain't got time for this. I can cut you off. You know, I'm good vibes only, right? In our pursuit of wholeness, we have written off every degree of pain, every degree of tension as abuse. If it does not give me immediate gratification, then I'm going to write it off as being nonproductive. But that's just not true. There are going to be some things that if you were to avoid the pain, you'd also avoid the growth. If you avoid the pain, you also avoid the lessons. If you avoid the pain, you also avoid the revelation of God. If you avoid the pain, you also avoid, watch this, your understanding of who you are. Some elements of pain are designed so that you might know who you are. Some things you don't learn until you've been hurt. Listen, there are things at 24, my parents were right about at 19, but I hadn't been through enough to listen to them. And so I thought in my, you know, in college mind, my in ministry mind, like, oh, that's a nice thought. But no, I I read books. A whole bookshelf full of emotional health literature. And sure enough. By virtue of the cycle of pain, I came around to things. There are things, (laughs) I was having this conversation in my mind the other day. There are things that my pride won't let me tell my parents they were right about, like today. (laughs) I was just having this conversation with myself uh, literally two days ago. I was like, ah, she was right, and I'm mad about it. (laughs) I just hadn't been through enough. I hadn't been through enough life to realize that because, now watch this, it doesn't devaluate the knowledge I had. The knowledge just hadn't been proven into wisdom. Goodness gracious, that's good. Life had not proved my knowledge into wisdom. Because there's certain knowledge that no matter how much you know it up here, until life has beat it into down here, it's not applied. See, See, wisdom is applied knowledge. That's why you can have a lot of knowledge, but if it hasn't been proven into context, and pain does that. Word to parents, from a child, not from a parent, from a child. There are going to be some things you can't rescue your children from. 
Because if you rescue them from the pain, you'll be rescuing them from the learning. And I'm saying this to you as a child who's now coming around full circle who will tell you, but not my parents, that they were right about certain things five years ago. And sometimes in our desire to coddle, I I can't see you fall. I I can't see you hurt. But I'm going to ask you even deeper. Whose child is it? There has to be a moment where you believe, watch this, that God picks up, watch this, at the end of your reach. And this is not just parent-child relationships. This is for some of us who are in romantic relationships, watch me, who are trying to save your partner. You believe that by virtue, like, I can love you into being better. I, I can love you into who I need you to be. I can, I can just, I can just, I can withstand it. You, you're showing me your patterns, your cycles. You're showing, but, but I, I can just, I know I can. You have to trust that God picks up at the end of your reach. But in our pride, we want to be savior. How do I know they're going to get saved if I'm not the one preaching to them all the time? For some of us, what we need to do is not talk more, we need to talk less. For some of us, every time this particular person comes back into our lives, we remind them about how far they are, and then we wonder why we don't see them again for three months. <laughs> you didn't took the barbecue as your opportunity to remind them of why they are the source of the family's dysfunction over potato salad and ribs. And we'll know why, why it didn't. Can, can we just talk about the barbecue sauce? Can you tell me it's good, to, it's good to see me? Like, where you been? How, how are you? Might be a really nice start. Every time you come, I just, I don't know why your life ain't been together. We at the same parent. Whoa. Can we just talk about the baked beans? That's okay. It's because we believe that we have to be God. You think people don't know that they're dysfunctional? You think people, don't, you think people live with themselves and don't know they have problems? My point is this. You can't just reject every pain as being abusive. You have to do the work to say, by virtue of the things that we listed, is this a productive pain or an abusive pain? Abusive pains, you make peace with and move on. And by make peace with, I'm not saying that you excuse it. Because sometimes there still needs to be accountability for that kind of stuff. When I say make peace with it, what I mean is you have to call it what it is. And finally accept that that's an abusive pain. That's what I mean by make peace with it. Not excuse it. Because sometimes God is going to call you at a season to be like, first distance yourself. Now, after a period of time, go fix that. Right. But being able to finally say, hey, you know what? This is not helping me. You know what? This is not pleasing to God. You know what? This is never going to be. And this. You have to get to the point where you can acknowledge to yourself This is never going to turn out the way I thought it would. Not because God is not God, not because I've lost faith, but because sometimes it takes two people to make some work. This is just not where you are. That maybe it's not that it's not possible, but maybe this is just not the way that God wants to work in my life. And that's hard. Can I tell you the hardest part of some goodbyes for me very recently 
it wasn't the goodbye. It was letting go of everything I had hoped for in that context and situation. It's like, man, I'm, I'm not just saying goodbye to this moment. I'm saying goodbye to the hopes and dreams I had created for this situation. So what I mean by make peace with an abusive pain is you have to be at the point where you can finally, in your heart of hearts, look at the situation and go, this ain't it. And that's hard. It's hard to decide that you're going to stop sending money to that family member. Be like, you know what? This ain't it. This is an abusive pain. It is hard when God, when you finally make peace with that, you know what? I should be in this position. The money was good. <laughs> now it's not worth it because my mental sanity is not there. So you know what? I am going to, uh, I'm going to choose my mental health over the lifestyle that I wanted. But that's hard. Because it comes after months and, and years of telling yourself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I just got to weather the storm and eventually it's going to be okay. And when you finally have to say yes to God, like, hey, you probably wanted me to leave this like six months ago. But I convinced myself it's going to be okay. So you have to make peace with it and move on. Remember, that's what Jesus did. When he came to his own, his own received him not. They said, ain't you just a carpenter? And he was trying to do miracles. The Bible says he could not. And it doesn't refer to ability. It refers to culture. Because of the culture of his hometown, he's like, you know what? The Bible says he healed a few sick folk. He's like, all right, you be healed. Blind eyes be open. Love y'all. I'm I'm going to go on. Productive pain, you process and you endure. Productive pain, you process and you endure. You engage it, you face it, you grit your teeth, and you sit in it and say there's a purpose in this. And let me tell you why we don't grow. Because we endure abuse and reject productivity. This is why we don't grow, because we endure abuse, thinking that at some point it's just going to get better, and we reject productivity. The things in our lives that are productive that God is trying to get us into, we'd be like, ah, just, you know, next time. And the, it's amazing how we continue to make excuses for abuse. That's just how he is. He don't mean no harm. She been through a lot. Let's pick up here, and then I'm going to address how 2 Corinthians relates to this. Sometimes you will not know what kind of pain it is. Sometimes you just won't know. All you know is that it hurts. The perspective that we have is one where most of us are able to look back at a pain. Or even look at a pain that we're experiencing right now, but with some time associated with it. When you first get hurt, ain't no making sense of that pain. And it would be unwise and unhealthy teaching to tell you that the moment you get hurt, you'd be like, "Mm mm-mm, abusive pain, I'm good. Sometimes it just hurts. And it's going to take a little while to be at the place where you are whole enough and have perspective enough and are sober-minded enough to be able to figure out, listen, 
This whole conversation about abusive pain versus productive pain, this don't happen when somebody's child passes away. And it would be absolutely foolish to go in as a pastor, to go in as a leader, or to go in as a spiritual partner trying to help somebody make sense of tragedy. Ain't nobody got time for that. This is not the moment. Why? Because I don't have enough sober-mindedness. I don't have enough clarity. I don't have enough space to be able to identify it. This is a very whole, rational conversation that oftentimes does not happen at the onside of pain. And it's important for me to teach you this so that you don't go out of here just thinking that you have this superpower now. So you won't know what kind of pain it is right away. Watch this. But just because you don't know if it's productive pain doesn't mean that you can't be productive. This is what part two is all about. Just because you don't know if it's productive pain doesn't mean that you can't be productive. You can still be productive. You can still make healthy decisions. You can still choose life. You can still have your life moving in a forward direction even while you wait to see if and or how your pain will be productive. When you first get in a relationship, you just excited. You just excited. I've been there. You just be excited. You just start you start making excuses for stuff that that just don't even, you know, it don't even matter, you know. Just all kind of things. Breath smell just as bad. You just be like, I just love being in your space. <laughs> it's the infatuation. It'll do it. You ever look back at some people that you used to talk to back in the day and be like, Lord Jesus, was I? <laughs> Lord, what was happening? <laughs> wow. Was that a midlife crisis? <laughs> you just be, you know, you just be like glorifying stuff. So at that point, you don't have the clarity or the time or the space to know whether or not that's productive or abusive because you're just so infatuated. I've been there. It's probably the reason why we don't listen to our parents because we're just in the glow. <laughs> Child, that ain't the one. You don't know. <laughs> You just hate me. <laughs> you just don't want to be happy like you. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> we're just in the glow. <laughs> and then two years later, you'd be calling your friend like, he ain't nothing. So what I want to teach you in these last few minutes we have is that when you're in those spaces, right, where you haven't had time enough or space enough to be able to really rightfully discern, it doesn't mean that you can't be making healthy decisions. So, number one, I want you to write this down. When you are in the moment of pain and you haven't been able to decide whether or not it's abusive or productive yet, you haven't been able to get that uh, discernment or that clarity, number one, decide that pain doesn't have to take everything away from you. Number one, decide that pain doesn't have to take everything away from you. Going through pain in a relationship, you got to make that decision. Hey, look, you broke my heart. 
you can't have my purpose too. You can't ruin my emotions and get me off track with God too. You, you, you can't get everything. You can't mess up my money and my family time, right? Like you have to make that decision on the onset that you're not going to allow pain to take everything from you. One of the most important things for us to do is to reclaim our strength, our agency, to know that, uh-uh, you haven't lost everything. And you have to make that decision. Because if you don't, then you're going to allow the hurt in one area to affect your decision-making with everything else. And then you'll be looking out and you'll be looking back and you will have lost everything that was holding you together. Have you ever seen people who at the moment of pain, they lost, um, I'll just, I'll, I'll stick with the relationship example. They lose a relationship and then they start spending money uncontrollably. And then they start losing, like they start performing bad on their job. Like I've seen this, I've seen this happen with a few of my coworkers that one life event happens and it will follow them in every area. They start underperforming in school. They start underperforming on the job. And now, because of not having dealt with that one area of pain and reclaiming that power, they've allowed it to steal every area of your life. And it's like, yo, that that was a breakup. Don't let that breakup take your livelihood and your schoolwork and your future. Like, no, you can't have everything. You got to look back at that thing and say, hey, you took years of my life. You can't take my future, too. This particularly in the case of those of us who are bitter with people who have harmed us in our past, not just relationships. There are some people who are serving in church right now trying to vindicate themselves against a former pastor who didn't believe in them. You know how, how, how wicked that is and how unsustaining it is. They're doing ministry right now. Like I told Elder Johnson that I was going to be somebody. I told him I was anointed. I never knew why he wouldn't let me. It's like, oh, okay. Please tell me more about how vindication is the motive for your ministry, not God and his people. You have to decide. You took years of my life. You can't take my future. You can't take my purpose and my goals. I want you to hear this as wisdom. Don't sacrifice the possibilities you have left in the name of what pain took from you. Don't sacrifice the possibilities you have left in the name of what pain took from you. Don't sacrifice the time you have left. Don't sacrifice the possibilities. Don't sacrifice the ideas. Don't sacrifice the relationships. Don't sacrifice the wealth. Don't sacrifice the perspective. You have so much more left than you understand. I know that what was taken from you in pain was significant, but you have so much more left than you know. And if you don't believe it in your hands, believe it in the hands of God. Number two, how do you be productive in pain? Be careful of isolating yourself from healthy relationships while you're hurt. This is how you can be healthy and productive. One of the things that I've learned is so bad is when we get hurt, we start to spend more time with the things and people that hurt us. And we isolate ourselves from healthy relationships that could give us the clarity that we're missing. That's the purpose of community. 
right? Is that community is able to rally behind you and give you support and strength and be like, hey, you need to cry, let's cry. You need to vent, let's vent. What, what you need to do? We need to go shopping for a little, what, what we need to do. And then once you're done processing, we're going to have a, a healthy heart-to-heart discussion about some things that you might not be able to see right now because you're hurt. But what happens is the moment we get hurt, we start to plug and detune out of those relationships. And sometimes it's because of fear. Sometimes it's because of anger. A lot of times it's because of shame. That's what it was for me. The times when I stopped talking to my parents about stuff, it it really had little to do with who they were and had more to do with who I felt like I was not. I was like, man, okay, I don't want them to know how bad this really got. So I'll come tell them once I fixed it. I'd be like, hey, you know, parents, about three years ago, this happened and it got pretty bad, but uh, I rescued myself. Isn't that a great story? Aren't you proud? Don't isolate yourself from healthy relationships. Why? Because it is in the isolation that you then begin to make pain decisions, which we'll talk about in a minute. One of the first things the devil tells us when we get hurt. Yeah, go ahead and take a Sunday off from church. First thing he tells us when we get hurt, uh, I, I know you usually call one of your parents every day. Yeah, you can go a day. They'd be all right. Or, and this is what really, <laughs> anybody else have a prayer partner or an accountability partner? And you would always tell when they hurt because you don't hear from them for a minute? You're like, Mm-mm, something's going on. Because we talk and pray all the time. But there's something about that conviction that comes when you're in those relationships and you're praying and holding each other accountable that we run from when we're hurt. Why? Because most of us want our pain to be a justification for toxic behavior. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot just for a moment so I can unpack that. Most of us, reason why we isolate ourselves is because we want to keep our pain to justify toxic behavior. That's why we want to let people hold us accountable. Because I want to be able to keep this to defend myself when you come tell me that my decisions are bad. Well, I was hurt, so I could do what I want. I'm the victim in this situation. You can't tell me how to live. You ain't been through what I've been through. You know those substances you're using are really not like God. I need a little weed. If you had been through what I've been through, then you would know that every now and then you just need a little weed, and I don't need you and your holy and self-righteous self telling me, all right, all right. We want to hold on to our pain to justify what we know is not in the will of God. Why? Because we're afraid of what it costs to be whole. We are afraid of what it costs to be healed for real. So we would rather keep making dumb decisions and using our pain to justify because the truth is real healing is scary. The truth is trying again and starting over is terrifying. So that's the reason why we isolate ourselves. We isolate because of fear, because of shame, but because we're like, really, look, right now, I don't need nobody holding me accountable for my decisions. I want to be able to use the fact that I've been hurt to justify what I know I should not be doing because deep down inside, I'm afraid of starting over. 
So what you have to do to be productive is you have to place yourself in those uncomfortable decisions to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to go back to those healthy relationships. And sometimes God will send somebody, send people in your life who will be able to see you when you don't want to be seen. You know who does? I've, I've, I've got some great people who do this in my life. Nobody quite does it like Bishop. Bishop has a way of seeing me when I just want to hide out. And most of y'all I can, I can trick through really good music and, and a half smile. And y'all just be like, God bless his heart. He's so anointed and so happy in life. And praise and worship will be amazing. And Bishop will know. And I'll be like, oh, <laughs> listen, <laughs> mind your own business. <laughs> and he'll hit me with, son, you're not okay. And you don't want to tell me, but that's okay. I know that you're, and I'm interceding for you. There's one time he really got me. He text, I don't know how he, well, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was like two in the morning. I kid you not, like two, three in the morning. And he sent me this long text, like, I'm interceding for you right now. And I was just like weeping in the bed. Like, how does he even know that I'm right now? You have to place yourself in that discomfort to be seen. Let, let me quote this. I want to move on for the sake of time. One of the things that uh, I found was interesting, and I, I learn a lot from every sphere of life. Um, the rapper Jay-Z did an interview um, about kind of some things that had influenced his last album. And, and it's not about the music, but it's about this that he said. He said that um, back where he came from, where he was born in, in, in the hood, what you looking at, could lead to like a whole, not, not, not just a whole fight, but like, like, like death. Like I, I will murder you over what you're looking at. And he said this, it is because we were so afraid to be seen. We were so afraid that somebody would look beyond our thuggish exterior and really see our, our hurt and vulnerability. And the fear of that would make us rather kill somebody than be seen. How powerful is that? Be careful from isolating yourself from healthy relationships. Number three, you cannot internalize the pain. This is so big for Christians and for Pentecostals. You cannot internalize the pain. You cannot swallow that. You think it's strength. You are slowly killing yourself. And what it really is, is pride. It is the pride of, I don't want anybody to know where I really am. I don't want anybody to know what I'm really going through. I want to keep it to myself, within myself, and prove that I can do it. And God says, why? Because you obviously can't do it because you're still in the situation. You cannot internalize the pain. You have to let it out. We internalize because we were told to, quote, unquote, being strong. But a question for you, what's being strong if you're broken? One of my mentors out of Houston, Texas, Jonathan Sprinkle, said this to me. I had gone through a situation, and I, I called him, and I said, hey, you know, what do I do? This hurts pretty bad. And he said, I didn't want this advice. He said, you feel how you feel. And I was like, well, that doesn't help me. I'm trying to fix the situation. 
And he said, you feel how you feel. And he said this. He said, um, so many of us make a situation worse trying to walk on a broken ankle just to prove we can. I'll never forget that. This was a, this was a, this was a year ago, actually, this month. I was in my car in Pasadena when he said it. He said, most of us will walk on a broken ankle just to prove we can. Instead of just sitting down going, it's broke. <laughs> Are you hopping along? Hopping along in marriage? Hopping along in ministry? Hopping along at work? Just to prove that you are strong enough to do it. Instead of having the real strength, which is, hey, Lord, I need your help in this. Hey, Bishop, I've really been struggling with this and I want to fix it. You have to find spaces where you can let it out. These have to be healthy spaces. These have to be healthy spaces. You hear me talk a lot about therapy. I think in the black community, typically, we, we love the doctor. Everybody go to the doctor. We go to the doctor for everything. And we love prescriptions. <laughs> I take this for my, uh, my high blood pressure, but it makes me hot. So I take this to cool me down. And then uh, that makes me go to the bathroom. So I take this to help me not go to the bathroom. I, I take this for hair growth. And then I take this to make it not grow. And, and I'm not poking fun at medication. What I'm trying to do is show you the disparity between the way that we are so forward about physical health. And the moment somebody says, hey, I want to talk to somebody from my mind, then all of a sudden we get all weird, like they don't have faith. You know, that person is to the mind what the medical doctor is to the physical body, right? Paul says that I wish it above all that ye prosper and be in what? Complete and total health. Watch this, even as your what? Soul. Pro now, I don't have time to, to do the way that we unpack this theologically, but remember, soul, the way, we've could, uh, the way we kind of understand the soul is the place that houses the mind, the will, and the emotions. Find it interesting. He uses a lot of language of, of the spirit, but here he interjects that language of the soul, that your soul prospers, that your mind, will, and emotions prosper. So how much time do we spend making sure our bank accounts prosper? Making sure our physical bodies prosper, but we don't make sure that my mind prospers. I can tell people who um, don't have healthy spaces to get it out because they get it out at the wrong time with the wrong people. You ever meet, you ever meet somebody and like all you say is hello and you didn't learn the last eight years of their life? <laughs> And I don't, does anybody else, I don't know what it is about the grease on my forehead that tells people that I want to be that person to hear that from them. But, Princeton, I just, for the last eight years, I just, and it all started with, I'd be like, okay, I love, I love this work. I love to do it. It's what God called me to. But, but wow, this is a lot. Like we just met, I, you know, and I'd like to tell you about my interests. I'd like to tell you that I like brunch and men's fashion. I can always tell when preachers don't have healthy spaces because they process over the pulpit. And you get messages that feel like they're being preached at you and you leave wondering if you offended the preacher. I grew up with it. And I can always tell. It's not because the preacher's a bad person. It's probably because he's been through a lot in his week and didn't or hasn't identified the healthy spaces where he or she will process that. And I be listening to sermons all the time like, you don't need a congregation. You, my friend, need a therapist. 
because there is a catharsis associated with preaching. Very much so. And if you don't have those healthy spaces, you'd be like, you mean to tell me I got 60 people and a mic and loads of emotion? Here you go. (laughs) And so they preach angrily. Like you don't leave feeling like you heard God. You leave feeling like, and here's what's crazy. Many of us have left taking on the weight of our leader. So now you came in with your weight and theirs too. For some, this is what happens with children. Where there is no healthy space to process, you end up making your child your surrogate spouse. And you have now unloaded onto children more than they are able to handle at that age. That's why we grow up with men who have identity problems because they were told at eight that they were the man of the house. And all the things that were gone through with other men who were three times that kid's age have been disclosed to the kid. So now the kid feels physically, financially, and emotionally responsible for a parent before they've had the opportunity to know who they are. And then we wonder why people become toxic. I got a movement. Time is running. Number four. You must ask, why does this hurt me so bad? You must ask why. Here's the wisdom behind that. Pain can oftentimes reveal weak spots. Sometimes the things that hurt you reveal ways that you need to mature. Sometimes you have to ask, why does this hurt me? Sometimes you have to ask, when that person said that and that offended me, why did that hit me so hard? Here's how I know that that this needs to happen. Because you know how there are some jokes that you can take and you laugh at? And then there's like one joke somebody could say and you just flip. Like, and it happens randomly in conversations. They be like, girl, your wig don't even sit on straight. You just be like, ha, 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 ha. And then they be like, yeah, but you know, uh, and then that bunny on your left foot, excuse me? What you not going to do? It's like, whoa. I thought we were having fun. I thought. So you have to ask, like, why did that hurt me so much? It might have hurt you because you grew up in a context where you had a parent that told you that your feet were the most unattractive thing about you. You had a dad who came in and every time you were just hanging out trying to watch TV, he's like, girl, you got them feet like your grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't know why I'm so on today. But the problem is, and we we laugh, but the things we hear during childhood shape what we believe about ourselves. And they go on to be the foundation for why things hurt the way they do at 40, 50, and 60. And so you have to ask yourself, why does this hurt me so bad? Why does this hurt? Not just, I know it hurts, but why does it hurt? And can I start to have that in conversation? Like, not just you do it by yourself, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call somebody who means a lot to me. And I'm going to say, hey, listen, uh, Mother Smith said something about my feet. We were joking, but I got so mad. Like, I, and so can you help me? Like, why would I have been so mad at that, right? You're going to have that conversation, and it's going to allow you to be productive, even when you don't know whether or not that situation was productive or not. Does that make sense? You have to ask, why does it hurt me so bad? Pain can also teach you about unmet needs. It can also show you, hey, this hurt me because I've learned that this is something I typically need in friendships, in family situations, right? This hurt me because I realized that I have never heard my parents say that they were proud of me. 
And that's why that hurt me. And so now we can have a better conversation, right? It's not about, hey, I'm mad at you. You don't ever. Now I'm going to come back and say, hey, listen, the reason why that hurt me so bad is because growing up, I always recall you telling me I could do better. I always recall you saying, hey, we don't do B's in this family. We get A's, right? But I, I don't recall enough times where I just heard you say, hey, I'm proud of you. I, I love you whether you achieve or not, right? Now we can have a productive conversation because I wasn't just mad. I found out why I was mad. Five, don't make long-term decisions out of short-term emotions. Don't make long-term decisions out of short-term emotions. Sometimes the reason why we are not productive in our pain is because we move way too fast. We get hurt and we want to start. I'll give you an example. We have one bad conversation and we want to move churches. I'll give you another example from, from what we do as young people. Our parents enforce one rule and we're ready to move out. <laughs> Take out the trash. I'm moving out. I don't understand why I can't be my own person here. It's like, okay, all right. Or you can just take out the trash and live for free. My parents would tell you, I'm, I'm the same way. The same way. I don't ever think about moving out because we just can't afford that right now. But, uh, <laughs> but I do have my little moments. They do this thing now. Okay, I'm way out of time. My parents are so clever. They do this thing now where they just wash their own dishes and they leave mine on the side of the sink. It's very funny. It's very funny. They're like, all right, you ain't going to do no dishes? That's fine. That's fine. We will wash ours. <laughs> and I come back and be like, oh, my goodness, the kitchen is, oh. That's my place. And they know they're mine because my place got scriptures on them because I be trying to be super saved. I'm that person. I like to look at the word while I indulge in gluttony because my plates be too big. So I just be... Looking at Psalms 91 while I sin. <laughs> We're out of time. Stop laughing. I have more words to give you. Last thing, last thing, and then, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap. Number six. So five was don't make long-term decisions out of short-term emotions. Six. This is so good. This is what I'm learning now. Um, I haven't mastered it is what I'm learning because I've seen the effects of what happens when you don't do this. Number six, place boundaries around your hurt self. Your hurt self does not have the sober mindedness to be free. You got to reel that joker in. Your hurt self is going to make excuses for things. Your hurt self is going to go into environments that should not be in it. Your hurt self is going to self-sabotage. You have to learn how to put boundaries. Like, I have had to learn, like, look, been a little lonely. I don't need to go to lunch with that one. Don't need to. Because that is going to end horribly. I can tell you right now. And what happens is we convince ourselves that we're fine. And now you done gone in and you done, not halfway sinned, you done whole sinned. And now you sit in the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning like, how did I end up here? Because you didn't have any boundaries around your hurt self. You should have known. Like, your heart is open. You're exposed. You know, you know what anybody else is? I don't know if this is scientifically accurate, but we believed it because we believe everything black grandmas say because they're amazing. Anybody else had a black grandma that used to tell you, uh, don't go outside. You just wash your hair and your pores are open. Anybody, anybody else? Yes. We all grew up in the same house. 
I don't know if that's scientifically accurate, but I believed it. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna just have to be late. I just washed my hair and I need to like dry it and make sure my pores are closed. I just, my pores are, whatever, right? For some of us, your spiritual pores are open and you need to not go back outside. You're too open, you're too vulnerable, you're too hurt. So you're liable to do things that you're going to, I mean, like super regret. So you have to learn how to place boundaries. Like, look, I cannot talk to you. Same thing when God delivers you from something. You don't go back right away. My, my friend Brandon told me this. I will never forget. He told me this literally this past week. He said, it's possible to be delivered and not quite healed. That broke me. Bishop, I had never thought about that. God might have freed you from the situation, but all the things that were tied to that situation haven't been closed yet. God ain't called you back to the crack house just yet. Because you still got a tiny little taste for some crack. It ain't time for you to ask your ex for forgiveness. You still attracted to them. It's going to start with forgiveness. and it, Well, okay. All right. I'm done. You can be productive even in pain. It doesn't mean that the feelings are going to go away. It means that you can make healthy decisions and get what Jesus promised in John 10 and 10, which is life abundantly. Here's all I can minister to you. Pain does not have to end your life. Pain does not have to end your destiny. Pain does not have to be the end of God's promises. But you can decide that, yes, I'm hurt. Yes, this has been difficult. Yes, I never thought I would be here. But God still has more for me. God still has a dream for me. God still has a destiny for me. And the way Paul admonishes in 2 Corinthians 4 is he says, remember that what you see is temporary. What you feel is temporary. What you're experiencing is temporary. What you're wrestling with is temporary. Oh, but by the power of God, what you don't see is eternal. What's building on the inside of you is eternal. God's promise to you is eternal. That future relationship is eternal. What God wants to build in you is eternal. What he's showing you about himself is eternal. And I don't know who's been wrestling. I don't know who's been struggling. But I just came as an authority of God to let you know that if you will trust God in this season, if you will guard your heart in this season, if you will guard your decision in this season, pain will not stop the promise. Oh, yes. I don't know who that's for. But I've come to tell you, pain will not stop the promise. Not only will it not stop it, but God says, I'm restoring the years that the locust and the canker were made up. God says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, and I am still able to to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ever ask or think if you will just choose to be productive even during the pain. Stan, let me pray with you before we go. Have you been blessed this morning? Hallelujah to God. I'm moving very quickly. Hey, listen, for some of you, you've heard this word and If you have been in it and you have been out of your pain for some time, what you need to do is pray this week about what God might be calling you to do. Wow. Um, That still blesses me. Like that's literally my heart and lived experience uh, in a teaching. Let me call your attention to some of the how to before we go. Remember, um, I love the number two, the second strategy, which was be careful of isolating yourself from healthy relationships in pain. So 
what I want you to do, one of the hows is to set ritual time to plug into healthy relationships, right? So when you're going through a season of pain, then you, one of the first things you should do is set something up that you, that is consistent that you're accountable to, right? So um, one of my friends at work, she does trivia every Tuesday at some bar with some friends of hers. And uh, I'm, I'm imagining that as being like, it's a ritual space. It happens every Tuesday. It's public. It's it's something that if she was in a season of pain, she doesn't go because she's in a season of pain. But if she was, um, it could help her be plugged into something that's not the pain. And then also because it's a community thing, there's going to be some accountability. Somebody's going to reach out and be like, hey, you come into trivia, right? Um, so if if you just experience some some pain, it might be healthy for you to say, Every Saturday morning, I go hiking with my homegirls. Every Thursday night, we go out to eat at this one spot. Or, you know, I and, and, and church is a really, and that's, this is part of partially my pastoral bias talking, but, but church is a part of that too, right? It's ritual, it's communal. And so that's a really strategic how-to. If you just got out of a breakup, you need to do this with friends, with friends. You need to have a space that you consistently go to with your friends who can kind of build you up. If you just uh, lost a family member, same thing, right? Like you might need to find, one of the things that I think is is most difficult is that families are really together for the week that are leading up to the funeral of their loved one, but they don't set something ritual after that. Like, hey, the cousins, you know, grandma just passed we need to see each other once every two weeks right and we need to hang out at so-and-so's house and just you know that is such a positive space of healing and it doesn't mean that you sometimes you might need to re-cry with that group of people or whatever that might be to need to be but be careful of isolating yourself and then three you need to find your let it out strategy for me i'm always going to be a therapy advocate um for as many people as have access to it and for those that don't have access we need to figure out how we create those streams and or how we find those uh, mental health professionals that are near us and how we can get kind of access but some sort of counseling some sort of counseling is so important but what else is your let it out you know that is healthy do you cook do you write do you write music do you create film? Do you sew? There has to be some sort of some sort of medium where you are producing something that helps you get it out. There's some sedation about being able to get what is in you out in some form or another. Do you do art? Do you run? Do you work out? But you need to figure out what that is. And then again, you need to set a ritual towards it. It needs to be something that you do quite often. I am frequently engaged in x y and z right and yeah some of the other stuff is is more so philosophical it's more so emotional work like you know ask why does this hurt me so bad and maybe that you might need to bring that into conversation pick three people whose wisdom you trust and say hey this was the pain why does this hurt me so bad right and even in pains that we understand um you still might need to tease out like what part of this am i grieving at this moment right so sometimes death of a parent affects everybody but there could be three kids and the death of that parent affects all three kids in different ways right one it might bring on a sense of guilt i feel like i didn't do enough for my parent while they were alive another one it might bring a sense of grief because it's like hey now i'm responsible like this hurts me because i feel like i'm now having to step into their shoes and then for the third child it might be this hurts me because that parent was the only person who understood me right and so it, it helps in the healing process for you to ascertain even in common hurts like 
why does this hurt me so bad? Right. And so I think that that is absolutely important. And then, yeah, don't make long term decisions out of short term emotions. Don't commit to things while you are in pain so much that you don't have clarity. And uh, this was the biggest one. Place boundaries around your hurt self. That's one of the biggest how to's that I wanted you to take away. Place boundaries around your hurt self. If you are hurt and you know that you like to have sex when you're hurt with people that you shouldn't be having sex with, or at least you're not even sober minded enough to like use protection or to ask certain questions, you know, like if you know that's you, put boundaries around your hurt self. Like, oop, you cute, we're not gonna be alone together, right? Same thing, right? Maybe you're gonna go through, you know, I mentioned my my struggle with pornography as a, as a means of medicating pain, right? There had to be boundaries of, I am tired tonight. I just got done dealing with the world or I felt rejected or, you know, ministry is so exhausting. You know, I can't be near the whatever, right? I've had to have to do that in the past. Like, you know what? This is not going to be a thing. I'm going to put boundaries around my hurt self, my vulnerable self, my tired self, right? If you know that you are an angry person and certain people trigger anger in you and you haven't yet found out healthy ways to display that, then you need to not be around those people that trigger you. You And or if you know that that happens when you drink, like you can go to the club, you don't need to be drinking. Like you can't handle it because there's anger in your heart that's going to emerge and you're going to do something that's going to get you sent to jail. You already know. You already know. Um, if you're somebody that sabotages people, like you have a, there's a lot of pain in you that manifests as jealousy. And so you very know how to sabotage, how to expose people, call them out, et cetera, et cetera. Put boundaries around your hurt self. Listen, I am not going to volunteer for that project because I know that being around that person, I, this is going to flare up in me. You need to place boundaries around your hurt self. Let's get more simple. Some of us, we know that when we're in pain, the refrigerator is our thing. So you need to set boundaries. I will not eat after 9 p.m. or whatever that might be. I am and inviting people into the boundaries that you've set that can hold you accountable. Preferably people who don't struggle in the same way, who out of enjoyment would encourage you to do. So, for example, some of you, your accountability partner is also the person who drinks. And so you will know that you don't need to drink, but because they, they'll be like, I'm fine, girl, you need to come up and turn up with me. They will talk you out of your boundaries. And part of the problem is you are hosting people to hold you accountable who don't have any boundaries. And so the problem is they're always going to convince you out of yours. How many of you have committed to not turning up and not going out, but your friends still do it and they're supposed to be your accountability partners. They have no boundaries. So they're always going to convince you out of yours because they have none. Anyway. Um, those are some big things I want you to take away. So I hope you enjoyed the sermon. I pray that you will be productive in your pain. Father, I pray over every unproductive way we've been coping with pain. I pray against it. Those things are not what you've designated for us. They don't bring us any life. They don't bring us any clarity. They just sink us further into the stupor of the hopelessness that we feel when we're in pain. We pray, God, that even if we don't know whether or not this decision or this pain is productive or abusive, Help us to make productive decisions, productive decisions in our relationships, productive decisions on our job, productive decisions at our churches, productive decisions with our physical health, productive decisions with our mental health. I pray against all tools of self-medication. Father, may we be free from them so that we can find new and healthy ways. And may we eventually know that you 
are the healer. Thank you for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you so much. Follow me on all the socials. <laughs> Follow me on everything. Email me. Let me know how this uh, has impacted you. Subscribe and like to the podcast. I love you so much. And I'm praying for you that uh, through your pain, you can be productive and that a series of productive decisions will lead you towards complete and total healing. I love you so much. Bye, y'all.